Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by the author of the Mindful Eating Workbook and registered dietitian, Vinci Choi is here. She is joining me from Calgary and she has a lot of wisdom to share all about what she calls mindful eating and intuitive eating. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Let's Connect. I'm really excited you've joined me today. Um, we're going to be speaking about food and about uh, how to, um, I guess, basically uh, eat properly and uh, what is the proper way to eat. There's many opinions on this and I've been on a quest to figure out uh, in terms of diet and what I should be eating, what I shouldn't be eating, what, what works best for me and my body. So I uh, reached out to a registered dietitian, a friend connected me to Vinci, Vinci Choi, and uh, she's going to join us today on the program and speak about her findings uh, when it comes to nutrition and food. And we'll be speaking about um, this whole idea of intuitive eating, intuitive eating. And I'm very intrigued. She also uh, has a whole workbook on mindful eating. And as many of you know, I'm very big on the whole movement towards mindfulness. So what does it mean to mindfully eat our meals. I mean, we might have an idea of that, but I suspect uh, Vinci's going to give us some more wisdom about uh, all of that as well. Uh, before we get into the interview with Vinci today, I just wanted to thank everybody for uh, tuning in so regularly to my podcast. It's really fun to, to think about uh, where these episodes end up, you know, whether you're listening in your car or perhaps you're at work on a lunch break or maybe you're skipping work to listen, I don't know, <laughs> maybe you're falling asleep to this tonight. I, uh, I just am really grateful that um, you're tuning in and just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast and share uh, with your friends. Let them know that we're uh, doing these interviews with incredible people from all around the world who are making a difference on the planet. You know, just recently I was uh, tuned in kind of unconsciously to the news stories. I was uh, in my car driving and all of a sudden the breaking news stories came on and I was listening to them. And uh, it became addicting. Every hour, the same stories would keep replaying. And they were stories of war and how all the crazy decisions our politicians are making. And I mean, you know these stories. Uh, I found after a day of being in my car listening to news stories, I felt depleted. I felt depressed. I felt um, a super <laughs> just kind of negativity. And when I sat with that, going, what is this all about? It, I tracked it back to um, taking in all of this negative news. So I am really, really excited that you're here because my hope on these, this podcast and these episodes is to really put some positive energy out into the world, some positive news stories. Um, as you know, many of you in my book, I write about the power of inner dreaming. Um, it's been said that everything begins as an inner dream. Uh, what is an inner dream? It's that inner place of our imagination, our unconscious mind, uh, where all things originate and where we tune our focus into. What we choose to think about in our imagination starts showing up in the world around us and has a very profound effect, not only on us, but everybody else around us. So I want to encourage you, uh, beyond listening to this podcast, to um, fill yourself up with uh, positive news, positive inspiration, whether that means uh, instead of listening to the news in your car, put on a good podcast that, that's going to build you up. Uh, I've just started listening once again to Wayne Dyer lectures. If you're not familiar with Wayne Dyer, D-Y-E-R, he's an incredible lecturer. He's got so many great talks on YouTube. Just having him streaming in the background, or Louise Hay is another great one. She uh, has some really great affirmation um, audio that just kind of gets into your unconscious. I really want to encourage you to do this. Um, just making that simple shift can really, really change your day and your entire life and everybody around you as well. So with that being said, we're going to uh, move into a discussion now with Vinci Choi to uh, focus in a little bit more on what does it mean to be a mindful eater, an intuitive eater, and how can we incorporate this into our lives in an effective way. So without further ado, here's Vinci Choi. 
All right, Vinci Choi is here on Let's Connect, and I'm really excited. She's joining me, I believe, from Calgary today. Hi, Vinci. How you doing? Hi, Keith. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I've heard a lot about you from a, a mutual friend, and I'm so intrigued about all of the great work you're doing in the world. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about your backstory, about how did you um, decide to become a registered dietitian? How did that all happen? Mm -hmm. um, well, I always say that my story is a little different and I find not very interesting. I don't know. <laughs> um, I grew up being really good at like math and sciences. And I think oftentimes when that's the case, there's always like a natural push to be a doctor or be an engineer. Um, and both of those career paths, well, being a doctor just felt very stressful to me. I think often there's a pressure on doctors to know everything and you know, high school me just thought that's too stressful. Um, and we had a family friend who was a dietitian or nutritionist, and that's how I knew this field even existed. And I was just intrigued by, this is probably going to sound weird, but you know, just how did food became different got broken down into different nutrients in our body. And then that kind of translated to different functions and structures in our body. Um, of course, you end up learning all that in, you know, biochem one and biochem two, the first few years in university. And you, like, it's just all Krebs cycle and um, drawing different molecular structures and you forget it all right away. But <laughs> uh, I always say that I'm very lucky that I went into a program that is so specific right out of high school and was able to make a career out of it. So yeah, wow. that's a little bit of my backstory. That's incredible. So um, registered dietitian, I mean, these days I walk through the grocery store and I mean, it just feels like nothing is healthy anymore. I don't know about you, but I find that. And um, I'm, I'm curious about the work of a registered dietitian. Like what, what does it involve exactly when it comes to food? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you're so right in, in the sense that there's just so many confusing messages out there when it comes to nutrition. And I think why, one of the reasons why um, I was able to make a career out of being a dietitian and also why I love being a dietitian so much is because um, dietitians can work in a lot of different areas. So um, I started out kind of working in the hospital system. I've also worked out of clinics, worked out of gyms. Um, there's lots of different specialty areas. Like I know some dietitians work in media. So one of the things that I always say that is that, you know, being a dietitian has allowed me to do almost all the things I wanted to be as a kid, you know, like I've been mm. on TV and I've been, I've been a writer, like I've been a journalist. I, um, the way that I counsel clients sometimes feels more like therapy than, um, nutrition. So, you know, all those little things are things that I wanted to be as a kid. And it's pretty cool that as a dietitian, I get to, yeah, kind of touch on all these different areas. What a great combo. Love it. <laughs> Thanks. So I'd love to dive in a little bit to your perspective around food and, and just this whole idea of, I mean, like I was saying, when, I, when I'm when i at the grocery store, I don't even know what to buy anymore. Like it seems like everything mm -hmm. is just so unhealthy or there's some sort of um, mystery behind what I'm going to be eating. What's, what's yeah. your take on that these days? Yeah. Well, I think like a lot of that attitude comes from um, just all the confusing messaging that we get, like whether it's um, like the media or just, you know, I think often it feels like one day, like one food is good for us and the next day it's not good for us anymore. And the day after that, it's good for us again. And so I think people are really confused. Mm -hmm. um, so the way that I, so I practice using an approach that's called intuitive eating. And the idea behind intuitive eating is that um, it's really about helping us attuned to our inner cues again. So we have spent so long relying on external messaging, whether it's, yeah, like chasing the next study in the newspaper or, um, you know, trying the next trendy diet plan, that sort of thing that we've sort of lost touch in terms of really paying attention to what our bodies really want and what our bodies really crave. Um, and so, 
So the work that I do with folks is kind of helping them retune in to those inner cues and learn to trust their bodies to be able to tell them how much to eat and what to eat and when to eat. Because I think right now, like we rely so much on um, external cues in instead of our internal body cues. I love this. It's uh, It reminds me, I do a lot of work in the field of mindfulness and it reminds me of that practice of going inward to trust yourself, to get those cues from internally. How would one begin that process? Yeah, um, I think like different people approach it in different ways. Um, so what I like about intuitive eating is that there is a little bit more structure than, you know, a very similar practice called mindful eating, which I, you know, incorporate in my work as well. But I think what some people like it is there's a little bit more structure with intuitive eating in the sense that there are um, 10 principles. And so the first principle of intuitive eating is reject the men diet mentality. And I know that's a, it's a really big overarching one because the idea behind it is sort of rejecting the idea that um, the answer to like what you really need is coming from outside. So it's trying, so it's kind of starting to um, flip that mentality to be like, okay, like the answer does come from within. And I find um, one of the what I call quote unquote, like gateway principles to intuitive eating is um, the ones that talk about um, honoring your hunger and feeling your fullness. So, um, so one of the tools that I often introduce to people is what I call the hunger and fullness scale. And the idea behind it is that oftentimes we think of hunger and fullness as like you're either hungry or you're full. And what the hunger fullness scale does is um, you can put it on a scale of zero to 10 if you're a numbers kind of person or other people will use words to describe, you know, they're um, uncomfortably hungry versus uncomfortably full and then all the steps in the middle. So sort of noticing the nuances and the different levels of hunger that a person can feel. And then I just get folks to kind of start practicing, um, you know, before they sit down to eat and then after, like, where are you on that scale? So um, I don't know if, even if you wanted to try now. Um, so yeah. So if you were to think of your, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you were to try to think of your hunger and fullness, um, on a scale of zero to 10 with zero being like completely empty, like you are, you know, I don't know, you are ready to gnaw your own arm off. You're so hungry. <laughs> and, and then 10 out of 10 being like holiday level stuffed uh, and five being neutral. Um, where would you put yourself right now on that scale? At this very moment, I would say I'm at a five. I, I feel completely neutral right now. Okay. And what is telling you that you are at a five? Um, it's like there's, I get a sense, <laughs> this is interesting. I, I get a sense that my stomach is like not craving food. Um, mm -hmm. My mind likes the idea of food right now, but my, mm. my stomach doesn't really crave it in this very moment. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I just had a smoothie before this conversation, so I'm feeling yeah. satisfied. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then, so like what I will sometimes have people do is like, um, yeah, kind of start writing down those things, like kind of like you said, you know, my stomach's not really thinking about food, maybe at a five, like I notice that my mind is still thinking about it a little bit. My mind is always all... thinking about it, Finchie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, and everybody's um, like kind of different points on that scale can be a little different. So I know folks who um, just don't feel hunger in their stomach at, at all. And so then like the way that they start noticing hunger is when they do notice that they have more thoughts about food or they notice that they have um, or they notice that their mood changes like being hangry or um or like kind of extreme levels of hunger they might notice that they're getting headaches or dizzy that kind of thing wow. um but so like so sometimes one of the first steps is like starting to build up okay what does a zero feel like for me and all those different points on the scale and then once you get a better sense of 
how hunger and fullness kind of feels like, then you can start playing with it, right? In terms of like, um, how might the timing of my eating affect how hungry or full I feel, or how might different foods or different amounts of food, um, and then, you know, and then, and then, and then another scale or like another um, component we can think of layering on top of that might be satisfaction, which is a very key component to intuitive eating is this idea of getting satisfaction through food because um i don't know about about what the weather is like um where you are right now oh but it's, it's cold like, it's yeah, very it's cold. like minus 30 here too yeah um that's celsius so, for all the americans by the way yeah <laughs> yeah yeah which like i looked it up and i also realized it's still like minus something fahrenheit and i'm like that is very cold <laughs> yeah yeah so um and so like in weather like this, like you probably don't crave like salad or ice cream or things like that. Like it just won't be as satisfying as like a stick to your ribs sort of stew or soup or something like that. So, um, yeah. So like once we kind of figure out the hunger fullness piece and we can start layering on like um, satisfaction from different temperatures of food or textures or flavor. And that's how you start kind of listening to your body in terms of um, what feels good and what your body wants and needs in the moment. Very interesting. One thing that um, you're bringing up as I'm listening to you is just also the timing. Like, is there a proper time to be eating like a certain, I mean, we're kind of prescribed this from a very early age, three meals a day, maybe some snacks mm. in between. Um, how does intuitive eating interpret the times that we should be eating during the day. Yeah. So I hope that you're getting the sense here that like the answer is going to be different for every individual. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find that like most folks tend to get hungry every three to four hours. So because um, I think you raise a good point about like, you know, when should we eat? Because I know um, intermittent fasting is becoming really popular now. So people are going, you know, I don't know, 16 hours without eating, or um, they will fast for, you know, a few days a week or something like that. Um, and and I think oftentimes um, when that happens, our hunger cues become a little bit dysregulated because how our bodies um, adapt to fasting often is that um, this is more of a theory than possibly an actual truth. But um, so one of the theories behind how like our hunger signals might work or, or why you have folks who say that they never feel hungry is because um, if you kind of think back to I don't know, like cave or prehistoric times when we were all like hunter and gatherers, like there would be times of feast versus famine. And yeah. so in, and so the theory is in famine times, if you were just like feeling like super hungry all the time, then like you wouldn't want to like do anything. Like you wouldn't want to go and hunt and gather. Mm -hmm. And so the theory is like our bodies actually shut down our, um, hunger, hunger cues so that like it, so that we're not, you know, thinking about how hungry we are all the time. And then it kind of gives us a little bit more like energy to actually go out to like hunt our food or gather our food or whatever it might be. And then, um, once we get back to eating more, um, regularly or consistently throughout the day. And I would say like for most folks that might look like eating about every three to four hours. But like I said, everybody's a little bit different. Um, and the hung then your body's like, oh, okay, like I actually have a consistent source of food again. So I will now start feeling hungry again, like when I'm supposed to. And, wow. and so I definitely have had folks tell me that like when they actually start eating regularly again, that their hunger signals come back or that they change. Um, so I, yeah, so I guess, you know, to answer your question of like, when should people eat? I think, um, Yes, it depends on the person, but for me as a dietitian who really prioritizes like people being nourished and getting enough nutrition, um, 
I will often start people with, you know, trying to eat something every three to four hours, or at least checking into your hunger cues every three to four hours. Um, because if you are going really long stretches of time without eating, um, that's often where like those signals can become dysregulated and yeah, harder to, um, trust your body in, in terms of telling you what it is actually needing. How much of this is like, um, mind versus body related to, I mean, mentally, like I mm. said earlier, I'm, I'm always thinking about food, but then, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but then there's times where mentally I'm so caught up in my day-to-day -day work that I forget to eat. So like, yeah. how, how do you make a shift or what, what would you have to comment on around the mind body connection to this whole intuitive eating? Yeah, well, I think another piece of it might be so um, what might be this idea of um, diet culture. So we live in a culture that really, um, I, I, I guess, elevates like smaller bodies over larger bodies. Yes. And I, I think um, there, so I think, and sorry, a lot of, um, I guess problematic eating behaviors are, um, are normalized. Um, and so, or like, or behaviors that are normal are demonized. So one example of this, um, you know, cause, because you're talking about mind over matter is this idea of, you know, emotional eating and cravings. And oftentimes we're told like, emotional eating is bad. We should only be eating, um, for physical reasons, or we should only be eating for nutrition, but food is so much more than that. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with eating for emotions, because if you think about it, like all eating is emotional in a way, mm. um, because like one example, and so I'm actually a new mom. Um, oh, I congratulations. Have, yeah, thank you. I have an almost seven month old, so I guess maybe not that new anymore. Um, but um, That's pretty new of, in my books, just to say, oh, Vinci. Good. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. so, so one of the things that I learned through breastfeeding my daughter, or like one of the things that intuitive eating always talks about is that like, oh, like babies always know like, when they're hungry and they'll, and they won't want food when they're full. But, um, one of the things that I kind of realized is like, well, how do they even know, like, um, whether they're hungry or whether they're full, because then there's also the piece of like that nursing is like something that's just comforting for them. Mm. And so, and so what I sort of came to realize is that like when they're, when a baby is breastfeeding, they're not necessarily doing it because like, they're like, oh, I need to like satisfy my hunger. And like, it's going to take like this much breast milk for me to feel full. It's more about like, they're noticing some form of discomfort and nursing is comforting for them. And it's kind of, it's so, it's not just satisfying like, the physical discomfort of being hungry, but also there is like an emotional discomfort there that they're feeling because logically they don't know that they have a stomach or they don't know that like, you know, that it takes a certain amount for them to feel full, but it's just like they're feeding for the purpose of getting rid of that discomfort. And so similarly, like when we're eating, like, yes, like we have that physical discomfort of being hungry, but I think also we're looking for um, we're hungry for some emotional comfort as well. So emotional eating is something that is absolutely normal and isn't something that's to be demonized. And so then on the flip side, you know, kind of going back to talking about, um, uh, like kind of that elevating smaller bodies over larger bodies and yeah. eating just what we need. And like, um, and I think with that, like then, we also elevate people who like restrict their eating or, um, you know, people who are, we talk about, Oh, like they're so good that like, they don't need a lot of food during the day or like, I'm trying to be good. So I'm not going to eat so much. Um, and when you think about it, like we're really just d depriving ourselves and normalizing that deprivation. And so like one of the things that I might be curious about is that, um, you know, if you're someone who is um, thinking about food 
all the time, like, is there some sort of like deprivation there that's like not necessarily being satisfied or yeah, I would, I think that would be something that I would be curious about because I think a lot more of us might not be getting enough than we actually think. So how about this scenario? Like last night I'm coming home Mm -hmm. from the gym and I'm craving for some reason, chocolate covered almonds. It's the weirdest thing. So I go to the store and the whole time I walk into the store, I'm filling up a little bag of chocolate covered almonds and the guilt, the unconscious guilt that I'm carrying going, you just worked out. You should not be eating chocolate covered almonds. This is like a, this is a bad pattern because you're going to be like rewarding yourself for being at the gym and then you're counterproductive because you're like that kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. How do you interpret that from a place of intuitive eating? Yeah. So I think like another piece of intuitive eating is um, giving ourselves unconditional permission to eat all foods and that all foods are equal in terms of moral value. Um, I think in our, yeah, in our culture, like, yeah, like we would think of something like chocolate covered almonds as like, quote unquote, bad because like, oh, there's like sugar and it's chocolate and, and that's a junk food, you know, you should be, I don't know, like, having a smoothie or <laughs> some sort of like post-workout smoothie or, or yeah, or something like that. Like th- that's a or post or protein bar or something like those are, that's a good food and you're a good person if you eat good foods and you are a bad person if you eat bad foods. So part of that, like what I was t- talking about before about rejecting the diet mentality is trying to let go of this belief that like some foods are better than others. Like, that's not to say that, yeah, like, you know, like, yes, I know that they're like certain foods are going to have more nutrients than other foods, but like, you are not a bad person for liking chocolate covered almonds and you're not like, <laughs> thank you. A be- yeah. And you're not a better person if you eat salad all the time or something like that. Like you're just a person eating like food is just food and it's trying it. And I think the idea behind it is taking the emotional charge out of it and the good and bad sort of morality that we put on food. So what would be, so as you're saying that, like what would be the, or is there an ultimate sort of um, way of being when it comes to this? Like what, what is the move towards with intuitive eating in, in this principle ultimately? Yeah. I think, um, I think it's, it's funny because I I wrote a blog post about this a while ago and like, you know, it's really just like food, not being a big deal. And I know that's such a weird thing coming from a dietitian, but I think like we just get so worked up about food being good or food being bad or eating the quote unquote right diet or the right thing. And I think also, ultimately the goal of intuitive eating is like um not spending so much energy thinking about food because yeah like thinking about food is fun but there are so many other things in our lives that like you know what more can we achieve in our life if we didn't devote so much energy into thinking about food wow so what happens if somebody's got like a a chip addiction or something or like a junk food addiction yeah in that way so Yeah. Um, So first off, I'll say like just from uh, like a scientific perspective, like food is not addictive in the same way that drugs are addictive or that alcohol is addictive. Like food itself is not chemically addictive, but like I totally understand that feeling of like just that like compulsiveness that um, that some people have when it comes to food, you know, like, yeah, just kind of feeling like I can't like I can't eat one chip without finishing the entire bag or, you know, like uh, I like don't even think of, don't even notice. And all of a sudden, like that box of chocolates is all gone, that kind of thing. So, and so, yeah, like that compulsiveness can totally feel like an addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, my, but like at, at the same time, it's not actually an addiction because it's not, you know, like it doesn't work in the same way as like a drug or an alcohol addiction does. Oftentimes um, when someone feels compulsive around eating or if somebody is a binge eater, um, it's rooted in 
some sort of restriction. So it's not the binge eating or the compulsive eating that's a problem. It's because there is some restriction there. And it might be um, physical restriction. Again, like like I was saying earlier, it might just be like you're, you're just not eating enough. And one of the things that sometimes um, sends, shoots up alarm bells in my head is when people say, oh, like I'm a good eater during the day, but then at night is when, you know, like I just get into the junk food and blah, blah, blah. And like, so oftentimes like that to me is sometimes a sign that a person is just not eating enough. And it makes sense that like our bodies would end up craving, um, chips and chocolate or cookies or those sorts of things because a lot of times like they are uh like a cheap a quick and easy source of like energy and calories or whatever for like if you're just restricting yourself during the day like in the name of like quote unquote being good or in the name of health or trying to lose weight or whatever well, so this is a whole other dynamic too i mean our culture yeah. is so fast-paced right now people yeah. i mean i myself included oftentimes we're looking for a quick easy uh mm -hmm. don't have to cook anything kind of solution so how does that factor in like to the intuitive eating uh angle of this yeah and i yeah and you're and you're totally right like i think um it's not just that, you know, we're, you know, all just like trying to restrict ourselves, but yeah, like I think um, sometimes just logistically eating enough can be hard when our lives are busy or like if there is like food insecurity in the picture. Um, and so I think it, and so I think it is like, is there space to make room to have enough um and i and i think for some folks like even before we dive in like to like those 10 principles of intuitive eating or like really dive into um like satisfaction or or that kind of thing it is just starting with making sure that you're having enough and so it might be um, being purposeful around like setting time to stop and eat. And even if it's not preparing food, sometimes the first step that I work with people is just making sure that you're stopping and eating something. Something is better than nothing. And then we start building up from there in terms of talking about what are the foods that are going to feel most satisfying and what are the foods that are going to actually make you feel satiated instead of just like grabbing something quick and trying to move on with your day. Because I think that's for a lot of people, like why they are ending up thinking about food all day, every day, because they're just kind of operating on an undercurrent of always never having enough. It's very interesting. I mean, that, that whole culture of just rushing and getting stuff done and being efficient also feels very externally driven in my mm -hmm. mind as we're talking. And it's like, I, I'm really appreciating what you're saying about this first principle about reject the diet mentality, let go of the outer opinion of how you think you're supposed to be, whether mm -hmm. it means you're supposed to be eating a certain way, or maybe you're supposed to be super busy and always full and, and go inward and, and start tuning in. If I'm hearing yeah. you right about intuitively, yeah. like what paying a little more attention to what's going on internally within each of us. And yeah. taking our own wisdom versus all of the external wisdom that's coming at us all the time. Is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I just, I'm curious, like, why do we have the tendency to, um, to look outward? Why, why do people, in, in your opinion, like, why do you think people are so externally um, motivated versus learning how to go inward? Um, that's a really good question. I don't have a great answer. I think, <laughs> I, I think in some ways it's, it's just something that has been drilled in us in so many ways. And I think we, and I, I think it's just hard to stop and think critically about this, if that makes any sense, because even if you think about it, um, you know, as, as children, we're taught to listen to our parents and listen to our teachers, which like, of course, is important when you're mm -hmm. a kid. But I think like that in a, in a way can um, start sending that message that, um, you know, we can't 
trust ourselves and we always need to like look to another expert or um or i think we all have this tendency to compare ourselves to other people or compare ourselves to an external standard and i think in a lot of ways like it's just a bit of that's just always what we've done and because in a lot of areas in our life like comparing ourselves to an external standard or turning to someone who is more of an expert in the area like does work and is helpful it's hard to criticize that in other areas of our life if right. that makes any sense yeah mm. absolutely wow there's like a whole nine other principles. <laughs> yeah, so there are. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get through them all. I might have to have you back on to get through them all. But I, I'm okay. curious about a few of the other ones that uh, that are involved in intuitive eating. Yeah. So we talked about rejecting the diet mentality. Um, we talked about the idea of honoring our hunger and feeling our fullness um, and then satisfaction as uh, as a um, as another like key principle in intuitive eating. Like, yeah, I don't even have them memorized in order. <laughs> um, and and um, and the other ones are there's one about um, not using your emotions to cope with food. Although it's, it's probably my least favorite principle based on what I said before about how emotional eating is normal. But I think the idea behind that is, um, that like emotional eating or eating is just one tool that a person can use to cope with their emotions. That is relatively benign. If you think about, you know, some of the other coping mechanisms that are out there that you know, are potential, potentially more harmful. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, like it's not healthy for eating to be the only coping mechanism that you have. So that principle is about, um, I think like using, um, getting other tools as well. And I think that's where a mindfulness practice might come in. Um, there's also making peace with food. Um, yeah. And, mm. and the two last ones are, or, and respecting your body is an important one. And so the last principle of intuitive eating is, um, about are, are about joyful movement and gentle nutrition. And mm. so it's very important that gentle nutrition is, um, the last principle of intuitive eating, because what it's saying is that like, it, we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like this is not about like completely rejecting, um, you know, nutrition science and, and that sort of thing. But it's that when we hyper-focus on nutrition and take those things too early, like we lose sight of what our inner wisdom is really saying. So it's working through sort of the first eight or nine principles of intuitive eating that are about um, attuning to your inner cues and reconnecting with your inner wisdom first. And then with gentle nutrition, it's like opening the door to that external wisdom and using that strong inner wisdom that you've cultivated to figure out how is this going to, how is this information going to apply to me? Oh, that's really great. Why, you know, as you're saying that, I'm, uh, I'm just thinking about how many people I encounter on the coaching side of um, this. I mean, I'm not a nutritionist, but I, a life coach. And a lot of people mm -hmm. come to me and they've got um, digestive problems. They're like, mm -hmm. they're, a lot of that kind of IBS, like all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff going on. How does that correlate into all of your work? And what's your perspective on why we see so much of that these days? Mm -hmm. Gluten-free, all these kind of yeah. digestive issues. Yeah. So one of the things that's really interesting and Marcy Evans is a colleague of mine in the States who um, she specializes in eating disorders. But one of the things that she's noticed is that a lot of her eating disorder clients have a lot of digestive issues. And um, so there's actually research out there that shows that there's a really high correlation between um, disordered eating and other mental concerns, mental health concerns, sorry, like anxiety and depression. And um, it's like in the 
um, up to like, I think 80 or 90 something percent of people who have anxiety also are experiencing some functional gut disorder. So what a functional gut disorder is, is like when you have those digestive issues, but um, there's nothing physiologically happening. So when they, you know, do the scopes or whatever, there's no damage to your gut. It's just that you're feeling those symptoms. So I think um, going back to what you were talking before about how busy our lives are and how stressful our lives are, like that um, is a big component to the digestive issues that we are experiencing. And so, uh, um, I, and so I think sometimes a lot of it is working through those mental health concerns and helping people work, manage their stress, um, as opposed to trying to find what food is causing it, because you're absolutely right. Like it's so, um, normal for us to blame food first and like it, you know, like, it's like, duh, like we, our digestive systems are processing food. So it should make sense that it's food that's causing it. But the reality is for a lot of people, it's because it's, um, their symptoms do tend to be triggered by high stress times and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, working through some of that, um, mental health stuff can actually make a big difference when it comes to digestive concerns. Wow. That's awesome. I, I, on a personal note, have a couple questions. <clears throat> I, um, um, I've been taking a lot of vitamins. My, my friend Mark actually got me on this about a year ago and he basically says, take vitamin B, C, D, E every day and then some omega threes. And he talks yeah. about just really like making zinc at certain times of year. Um, mm-hmm. and I have to say, I haven't been sick since I've started taking vitamins. I'd love to hear your, I'd love to hear your perspective on vitamins and if they are effective. I mean, I've, I've been finding myself that they're effective, but what's what's your take on it? Like, how do you look at that? Yeah. Well, I think, um, there is like stronger evidence for some vitamins and, and not others. So for example, like us living in cold Canada, where we don't get a lot of sun, um, I definitely recommend vitamin D for, um, all folks like year round. Like I know some people say they only take vitamin D in the winter time, but you know, I, but even in the summer when we go out, like we're covered in sunscreen uh, oftentimes anyway. So um, yeah, vitamin D year round Um, with some of the other vitamins, like I would say it depends on what your eating patterns sort of look like. So um, for example, like my husband doesn't eat a lot of fish and seafood. So I, in turn, even though I love fish and seafood, don't eat as much as I used to. So I, I supplement with omega-3 personally. Um, but, um, and there is some evidence that vitamins and minerals like vitamin C and zinc, like can help prevent cold. So it totally makes sense that you're taking those things at this time of year. Um, so yeah, I think it's a little bit of like looking at the evidence and also looking at like what works for you. Like sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the science might say like, it's not very effective, but at the end of the day, like what the science is telling us is like what happens in most people in, you know, a certain scenario. Um, but when I'm working with a client, what they care about is what works for them. So like for you, Keith, like, since you're saying like, I'm taking these vitamins, I haven't been sick all winter, like this works for me. I'm not going to tell you to stop. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Got it. Well, my wife, my wife has been telling me to stop. She's like, you're taking way too many vitamins. And, (laughs) but I, that's why I'm asking. I'm, we'll have to listen back to this, this episode. I I also am curious, um, around just the vitamin topic. Like I tend Mm. to take all my vitamins all at once first thing in the morning. And I've, I've Mm. heard mixed, um, opinions about whether you should do that or not. What, what's your Mm. take on that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it does depend on the vitamin itself. Um, so some vitamins, for example, um, are fat soluble vitamins. So vitamin D is one, vitamin E is one, and the other two are vitamins A and K. Um, and so those are fat soluble vitamins, meaning that like they absorb better, uh, like in in fat. (laughs) So not telling you to like take a spoonful of oil, but even if you're taking it with a meal, um, oftentimes if you're taking say like liquid vitamin D, then 
it's the suspension is a type of oil so that can help with absorption so okay. um, those might be some things um, some vitamins can block each other's absorption so like iron and calcium or um, zinc and copper but I find that most people don't have like copper deficiencies and don't supplement with copper but so those are things that i would sometimes tell people to separate out and then some supplements will interact with medications as well so th that might be something to talk to your pharmacist about if you are taking medications like you know can you have be eating or taking supplements kind of at the same time because it can affect how well your body absorbs either the medication or the supplement so it depends on um, the supplement itself or like the vitamin or the exact vitamin or mineral whether it's okay to just kind of take them all together or whether they're and i find it's minerals more that tend to um, interact and block one another Got it. I'm taking this as gentle nutrition. I'm, I'm hearing the external opinion and yeah. it's like that combo of listening to myself now and, and research as well and kind of finding that combo. That's what I'm getting yeah. from this conversation. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, a couple uh, final things I'm curious about. I, um, mm -hmm. just in terms of like the body wisdom in relation to our diets, things like, mm -hmm. um, people often experience, well, not often, but sometimes people experience things like acid reflux or mm -hmm. inflammation in their, um, their joints or their extremities, like the hands mm -hmm. or feet. Um, how diet related or I don't know if diet's the right word, but how food related mm. is that? Um, typically the body food mm. connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's, such a good question. Um, I think it depends on the specific condition. Like I think, you know, how food relates to acid reflux is going to be different, how food relates to joint health. Mm -hmm. um, I think for all of those conditions, like there are lots of factors that play into it. Like, you know, uh, it might be genetics, it might be just like kind of the structure of your own body, it might be, um, you know, just your activity levels, or there's lots of different factors that play into it. Some are ones that were in that are in our control, and some are not. Um, I think, in a lot of ways, like our culture does overemphasize the impact that food has on a lot of different health conditions. And um, so I'm not saying that food doesn't have an impact, but um, I, I think that in a lot of cases, diets are often overprescribed and people get worked up about them, right? Like mm -hmm. they get worked up about like, I have this condition, therefore I can't have like all these foods or um, yes. I have this condition, therefore I have to eat like all these foods. Um, and it's like, yes, I totally understand that you want to take care of yourself as best as you can, but really the effect that food has isn't as like oftentimes isn't as big as it's made out to be, but I think it's because it's one of those few things that we have control over that people like can get obsessive about it. And the stress of being obsessed about food and eating in a lot of cases might be worse for your health than the food itself. Oh, interesting. Absolutely. I, you know, as you're talking about that too, I just wanted to, we've been talking a lot about intuitive eating on this uh, program today, but I'll, also, mm -hmm. you'd mentioned mindful eating, and I'd love to just yeah. know the distinction between mindful eating and intuitive eating. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question because, like, I think sometimes you hear intuitive eating and mindful eating using being used interchangeably, yeah. and they're actually two separate concepts. Um, they have a lot of similarities, though, um, in in the sense of um, that it is about attuning to your inner cues and reconnecting with your inner wisdom. Um, for me, I find the difference between intuitive eating and mindful eating is that intuitive eating does have like the structure of those 10 principles. Whereas how I describe mindful eating to folks is, is it's, um, is it's just really focused more on that attunement peace. So it's taking the practice of mindfulness with, you know, the, um, the present awareness without judgment and taking it into the experience of eating. Whereas I think um, intuitive eating has more of that like 
goal of, you know, rejecting the diet mentality and making peace with food and all of those things. Mm -hmm. I think mindful eating is really just about being in the present moment um, during the whole eating experience from um, cooking or from selecting your food to cooking, to actually eating it. Awakening the senses probably. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but there isn't that goal of like, you have to make peace with food. Well, I guess in, in, with intuitive eating, it's not a, you have to, (laughs) but you know, there, there aren't those like additional messages that are necessarily coming in. It's really more of just an invitation to be present, um, without judgment. Right. Got it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, uh, I noticed that you offer a seven-day mini course on your site. Could you mm-hmm. just share a little bit with people about what that's all about too? Sure. Yeah. So the seven-day mini course actually comes um, out of my book, <laughs> the Mindful Eating Workbook. So it's funny that you know we've spent the whole episode talking about intuitive eating when uh, my book is <laughs> about mindful eating. I hope that's um, okay. <laughs> no, and that's totally okay because like I definitely use both in my practice, and I think in a lot of cases, intuitive eating can't happen without mindful eating. Um, okay. Yeah. And so um, the the mini course, um, I recorded some of the meditations that are in that are featured in the workbook. So there's a body scan, there is um, a surfing the urge. So um, kind of listen, uh, trying to listen to what your body's really saying when you're craving a food and, um, res- and wanting to respond to that craving differently. Um, there's also just a mindful eating exercise in there and then just other little mindful eating and mindfulness tips. Um, and then there's more worksheets and exercises in the workbook itself. Oh, that's wonderful. And this is a free seven day mini course that people can take. Yeah. It's just, um, it just comes into your, um, email every day for those seven days. And so you'll get like recordings, you'll get different blog posts, Um, just as an intro to meditation and mindful eating. And then if you want to explore more, you can get the book that goes with it or, you know, even just book a session with me for just kind of more personalized um, help. Oh, that's wonderful. I I just love the work you're doing and I really love the move towards not being so externally motivated, but learning how to be more internally listening to who we are and what we need and I just so appreciate that that way of being. I um I want to encourage everybody listening to go check out your your mini course for sure and your book and uh, maybe even book a session too to do some direct work with you. I'm I'm intrigued now as well. So oh, thanks so much. Uh, thanks for being here on the program, Vinci, and uh, I hope you'll come back and join us again soon. And um, we'll we'll leave in the show notes uh, a link to your website because I really want to encourage people to go check out your website. You got a great blog too. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Keith. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope that you have some insight now on what it means to be an intuitive eater and a mindful eater as well. Uh, I love this idea of really trusting internally our instincts as opposed to going to the magazines and all of the external noise that tells us how we should be, how we should look, how we should eat. It's time for us to pause, go inward, and reflect on what is it that I really want to be eating. So I want to thank again Vinci for sharing all of that wisdom and inspiration with us. I will leave her website uh, in the show notes and I really hope you'll go take her seven day mini course and uh, continue to inspire yourself to living your best life. So until next time, everybody, have a wonderful uh, week wherever you are and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of Let's Connect.